Hello and welcome to Pop Matters. I'm your host, John Moose Williamson. Thank you for listening. Pop Matters is produced by the Calvin College Student Activities Office, the Calvin SAO. You can check out events at calvin.edu SAO. Today's episode is jam-packed with content, so we're going to jump right into it. Our first segment comes from a conversation Ken Hefner, director of the Student Activities Office, had with Adia Victoria before and after her concert here on April 23rd. Candidly, it's one of the best conversations with an artist we've ever had at Calvin. Here are some highlights. My name's Adia. I was born and raised in Spartanburg County, um, South Carolina, just upstate. Um, I'm the middle of five. I've got two big brothers and two little sisters. Every time there was a fight when we were kids, it always invite it always involved me. I was it's always a dia versus somebody. I don't know nothing about nothing so I've always been a little bit of a, a fighter, um, challenge things that I was told, and so a lot of my childhood was spent having this person inside of me kicking and like testing boundaries and. Right now in my life, I'm at the point where I'm trying to make peace with a lot of things from my childhood, and I've found that the best way to do that was to channel it into art. first got into the blues as a 21-year-old when I was living in Atlanta and working as a telemarketer. I think that that was the point in my life where I reached like spiritual kind of starvation, where I knew that I was hungering after something, but I had no idea. I got into like the black keys and then the white stripes, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I really enjoy this, but I know that these guys didn't invent this. I know that they got this from somebody, so I started doing research into who are, who are you ripping off? And so this led me back to like Arl Burnside and Robert Johnson and Skip James and Victoria Spivey and it was the first time in my life that I felt pride in being a black woman. I felt proud of being from the South. I felt placed, I felt rooted. That's what the blues did to me, and I was just like a woman possessed at that point. Yes, whiskey will do. My friend left me in old Washburn, and she moved out west, and so I just started learning guitar uh, while I was like selling people cable and internet. You know, it's like flicking back and forth between chord shapes and you know cable. Uh, subscriptions. From then on, I, I was like, I found something that feeds my soul and something that's mine and something that I can do on my own and I don't need anyone telling me like how to do it. So the coolest thing about the blues for me is that it, it boosted my confidence because it allowed me to interpret my inner life. It gave my inner life merit. My love affair with the blues, it's taken me a lot of interesting places. 
one of the most interesting um, opportunities that I had came two years ago when I was invited to speak at Yale University with Jack White and a few music journalists. They were like talking about all the facts and the figures and like very like organized into something that didn't even register as the art form that I love that saved my life. And I just remember sitting there saying, you know, you guys are sitting here talking about like how the blues were like pop music, but honestly the blues for me were the original punk music because you had people singing things that they couldn't speak under fear of being killed. That was a very um, literal reality for them. As much as, you know, these white men have loved the blues that they haven't really got, they've never been able to touch the danger of the blues. Like, I feel like they've tried to gentrify it in a way for mass audiences, meaning white audiences, but I like the danger of it. I like to sing things that I'm not allowed to necessarily speak. And so for me, it's kind of like reclaiming my legacy. Like the blues rock and roll was invented by Sister Rosetta Tharp, a queer black woman. And so for me, this is just following in the footsteps of my ancestors, reclaiming what the blues was intended to do, which was to shine a light on black inner life. I mean, personally, I can't speak for I can't speak for any other black artist but myself. But I'm I'm very keyed into what's going on with Black Lives Matter, and that's kind of what led me to pick up a guitar and keep playing and like have this like obsessive drive to tell my story. Was because I believed for the first time that my black life mattered, and I wanted to tell it not in a way that was like had like a pop sheen to it. I wanted you to know like the ugly and the nitty gritty and the, you know, the petty parts of me. Like I believe that as black people, we should be afforded the full spectrum of our humanity. You know, and I, I think that it's, it's been on purpose that black um, female humanity has been so stifled and it has been so um, misrepresented because it is so dangerous to the status quo. Being a black female is extremely dangerous to the status quo. We defy the lie that is placed on us, that has been told about us, just our presence. I think that the black youth today, they're looking at their entertainers for more than just a bop. And they're looking at them saying, you know, what about Nina Simone? Like, look what she did. Like, look at James Baldwin. Like, look what they did. Look at Miles Davis. Like, these were people, you could not separate their blackness from their art. It was one and the same. I think I'm at the point of my journey where I've realized there's no one else that I can be other than myself. And so I've gotten to the point now at 29 where I'm adamant about giving myself, like giving my humanity its full range of allowing all of it to shine through, like the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and like you said, like daring anybody else to like stop me or like minimize me at all. Because I feel as, as women, especially in our society, like we have to like minimize ourselves, make ourselves so small. There's so many restrictions on our body and on our spirit. And I feel like all of us have gotten to a point where we're just like, screw it. I want to live out loud. I wish
I want to see y'all willing to go on a journey with me. It requires, you know, both parties, and you can tell when an audience is going there with you. And it's it's scary. It should be. You should feel pushed. Like you should feel outside of your comfort zone. If I'm doing my job correctly, and that requires a certain intimacy. And it is kind of that thing. Like I feel very much naked before all of you. I can't hide anything up here. And that's what I would want in return. I want you to allow me to touch your vulnerabilities and your insecurities and things that you hide and they're usually afraid of showing to the world. Like I just want us to get real with each other. We'll have the full conversation with Adia up on our SoundCloud page soon. That's soundcloud.com slash Calvin SAO. For our next story, we interviewed Jack Van Allsburg, editor of Calvin College's student-run arts and writing magazine, Dialogue. So, Jack, for those of us who don't actually know, what is Dialogue? Could you give us just a little bit of a picture? So, Dialogue is a journal of um, student creative work. So, anybody who's an undergraduate at Calvin can submit to it. And we publish pieces in the categories of prose, poetry, photography, visual art, and uh, more recently, music. It's almost a 50-year-old organization. It was founded in 1968, and it's really, really, in the last couple years, been an honor for me to be part of in that we've had some really cool opportunities to help grow it as a place for students to express themselves. So it really is supposed to be kind of where Kelvin gets to have a conversation in terms of art and writing and expression. Um, and I... I wish that more people on campus kind of knew that that was the purpose because I think that there's this kind of perception to dialogue that it's friends publishing their friends. Yeah. Um, and it is true that like a lot of people who are on staff submit and a lot of people who are um, friends of people on staff submit because we bug them until they do. Um, you know, I've submitted uh, 12 or 13 times. I've gotten in twice. Okay. You know, so like I, I wish... I wish that I could have gotten in more times, but the, the bottom line is we don't really play favorites because we can't. Walk us through the selection process, Jack. Um, how does a piece get into dialogue? So it's it's pretty in-depth, actually. Um, it's, it's very easy from the standpoint of the submitter in some ways because basically anybody can submit. It's an online um, submission system. I built that last summer um, in order to help keep pieces as anonymous as they could be. Basically, we will evaluate the submissions um, based on a number of factors, but the question that we always are asking is, you know, does this piece contribute to the artistic conversation at Kelvin? So if a piece is really high in merit, um, in terms of, you know, maybe it's really, really difficult artistically, it has a lot of um, skill that went into it or a lot of work that went into it and like the merit of it is clear from that, like that might be a reason that a piece gets in. Or a piece might be just very important in terms of the message that it has. Um, it, it really comes down to 
the jurors helping us decide, you know, what we think is important for Calvin to be talking about. There was a big gap in dialogue between the era where we had music and where we didn't, and now we have it again. So why the change back to music? So when I came in, I, I mean, nobody even, the only the only remnants of dialogue, like music, was there were these CDs on the wall in the office. I don't know, nobody even knew what they were from. Like, nobody had ever listened to them. And so the push wasn't so much from inside dialogue or outside dialogue as much as it was just, there was a, uh, a message sent to me by uh, John Williamson, where he basically said, hey, why don't you guys do music? Sometimes I wonder what I should do in my spare time. Basically, I had no reason to not. <laughs> and so I got a few people on staff who had a little bit more expertise with that, um, including Kata Copeman. And so he's taken a lot of the uh, responsibility in terms of administration for that. And so we basically did it because we knew that we finally could. What if I could sit down and think hard enough so everything came clear? I want to be okay with my past. No time travel back. Got A personal question. What is significant about dialogue to you, Jack? I think dialogue's just kind of a special place in that being creative and being open with creativity is it's a really kind of a vulnerable endeavor. It's really scary to put yourself out there. And it's especially scary to put yourself out there in front of a bunch of people who you don't know. And um, the thing that makes it even worse is that, Kelvin, you probably do know them. Uh, and so what's cool about dialogue is it's, it's this opportunity for people who are on campus to share their creativity with one another and to kind of celebrate one another. And it's just, to me, that's... That's awesome. It's it's an incredible opportunity to be part of this community of people sharing. Mm -hmm. Here at Pop Matters, as I said before, we're trying to answer the question, why does pop matter? Uh -huh. So how does it dialogue contribute to that conversation? Well, actually, I think this is actually something. So, you know, it's easy to it's easy to kind of talk about the ways that dialogue has gone well. And I think that, like, we have really done a lot of good work. But I think the biggest challenge that's facing us right now is I think we need to, like, We've established this really great forum. We've established this cool place to have this conversation. But the conversation, I don't think, is quite where it should be. I don't think that we're really hitting on some of the most important issues that, that we should be talking about, which are, you know, we're not really talking about race the way that we should. We're not talking about issues of sexuality to the degree that we should. I don't think we're, that, we're really dealing with issues of pop culture. We're not talking about, um, you know, kind of what Calvin's place in the world is and what conversations are actually happening at Calvin. I think that right now we have this really high quality group of pieces that are coming in that are, you know, really beautiful, really interesting, sometimes thought provoking, sometimes, um, you know, really getting at some, some deep questions of, of what it means to be a person, what, mean, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Calvin. But I think that we're not speaking into that conversation enough. And, and dialogue was started because it was supposed to be this safe space so that professors and students could write these really, really, um, you know, kind of controversial pieces and, and get at these issues without having to feel 
afraid of retribution without having to feel as though, you know, they were going to be, you know, disciplined for what they were saying. It was, it was supposed to be this space where dialogue, where actual conversation could live. And I think we may have lost that a little bit, but I think we still can reclaim it. to celebrate the latest issue of Dialogue is happening on Wednesday, May 11th at the Calvin College Cave Cafe, including several of the musicians selected by this year's Dialogue jury. One of those artists, Johnson Cochran of the band Parlor Voice, sat down with Pop Matters team member Daniel Hickey to talk about his development as an artist here at Calvin. Johnson Cochran to discuss Johnson's experience as a musician, uh, as a student at Calvin College. What projects are you or have you been involved in? Um. It's funny. I don't know if I, if, um, I don't know how far back I should go because <laughs> some bands I was in probably don't want me to talk about them is if, if that makes sense yeah like just the... just almost out of embarrassment and almost i don't <laughs> want to talk about it because like that's fair i was in some pretty co- sort of i mean the fact that they aren't existent anymore is sort of testament to how mm. good they were so um i was in a band my freshman and sophomore year with some friends on my floor um and i continue to collaborate with a lot of those musicians um to this day, actually. The first band I would say um, I was actually a part of um, was Lyance, mm. which is my roommate James' project. Um, he uh, he started this, and when he and I were still rooming together sophomore year, I recorded and produced and played on his first record, which he recorded in the storage closet of Schultze Eldersveld. Many thanks to Emily College for, for letting us do that. I also recorded my first record down there. It's still my brainchild, I would say, and uh, I'm still I'm sure I'm figuring out how it exists going into the future. Um, 
because there are a lot of things I like about having creative control and there are a lot of things I like about performing uh, with and, and sort of uh, creating with musicians. Um, and there's got to be a balance that I can reach there while still sort of um, maintaining what Parlor Voice is about. I got a little frustrated with the lack of bands at Calvin and sort of the lack of a community that came together on a certain night, listened to performances or, or actually performed. I just felt like there wasn't really much interest. And part of that has changed a bit this year with Pop Music Guild. I've seen sort of the Calvin band scene reach some sort of critical mass. We have like, what, four? four bands releasing stuff. So that's kind of how I've seen it change. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to see it get better. Not learning to just rely on Pop Music Guild to uh, be uh, a source of feedback and actually playing out in the community more, um, establishing a better name for Calvin uh, through that by being good, I guess. And as we get better and better musicians into Pop Music Guild, hopefully that'll follow suit. I know I'll always make music, and I know I will always perform music. That has just become a part of myself that has not let go throughout my existence. And there are other things in life that seem to come and go, like, I don't know, sports that you do, or colleges that you go to, or um, foods that you like. Sometimes you just quit liking something, but I have a desire to continue creating music that I really feel has artistic merit, um, and sharing that with others is very important to me. Trying to make a career out of music is, um, well, the like the the narrative that's beaten to the ground. I think is that it's like a non-career, but also like just impossible. And if you do make your living as a musician, um, you're almost like cheating. <laughs> Playing is working, like, mm -hmm. playing music is, is a form of work. Um, 
I think that part of my unique calling to music would be I want to help other musicians do what I'm trying to do because together we have um, some sort of understanding that okay like we're trying to do the impossible so let's get together and make it less impossible and we are going to keep each other accountable because impossible things don't happen when you slack off and yeah. and I think here in Grand Rapids I found I found some really cool people that want to do that with me. I think Guided by Voices has, was the single most influential band when I recorded my album. Um, I was listening to a lot of the 1995 album Alien Lanes. I'm very much a fan of his pop art um, collage style of album covers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's something very real about rearranging pop art into some sort of higher art. I almost think of my songs a little bit like collages. Uh, there is, there are some elements of like cut out poetry. But that, that collage concept is interesting. And then that ended up working its way into the album art for the yeah, record as I intentionally, well. and I intentionally chose, uh, chose artists who mm -hmm. understood kind of what the what I was going for yeah um, and I was very pleased I didn't know what it was going to look like but I feel like it really does capture something of what I'm going for this is good thanks for sitting down in this um very padded room oh thank you I've never been in here so I wouldn't have come if you hadn't asked me to come. <laughs> I'm glad thanks for I'm glad you got to stop by yeah no <laughs> You can find Parlor Voice's first official release, Rice Cakes for the Unsettled, at parlorvoice.bandcamp.com. Thanks so much for listening today. You can find all our episodes at soundcloud.com slash calvinsao. You can see upcoming student activities office events at calvin.edu slash sao. You can also subscribe on iTunes, search for Pop Matters, and we're going to try to have one more episode before this summer break. I want to thank our special guests today, Adia Victoria, Johnson Cochran, and Jack Van Allsburg. The Pop Matters team is myself, Gregory Manny, John Spikeman, Daniel Hickey, Ollie Crevier, Jordan Peterson, Emma Carpenter, Cotter Copeman, Derek Camp, Morgan Anderson, David Fitch, and Patrick Yonker. Our theme song was composed by Cotter Copeman. Thank you for listening.